Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome back to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. We have a special show for you today. Did you know that September is Infant Mortality Awareness Month? According to the Department of Health and Human Services, infant mortality rates are often used as an indicator to measure the health and well-being of a nation because factors affecting the health of an entire population can also impact the mortality rate of infants. While the risk of infants dying in their first year of life is declining in the U.S., the U.S. still ranks 27th among industrialized nations, and disparities by race and ethnicity still persist. For example, the infant mortality rate among African Americans is more than twice that of non-Hispanic whites. The rate is 60% higher among American Indian, Alaska Native infants, and 40% higher among Puerto Rican infants as compared to non-Hispanic whites. Studies show that there is an inverse relationship between female literacy, women's health, and infant mortality. So today we talk with Ariane Long, the dynamic founder and chief estrogen officer (laughs) of Family Box, a natural feminine care subscription company. Family ships monthly care packages for women's health and menstrual cycles in their Family Box. This includes everything from 100% all natural cotton pads, tampons, body and skin products, snacks to curb cravings, and so much more. Ariane is dedicated to bringing feminine literacy and envir- environmentally responsible healthcare to women. Welcome to the show, Ariane. Thank you so much for having me. And our special guest is Dr. Joya Creer Perry, the founder and president of the National Birth Equity Collaborative. Recently, she addressed the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights to urge a human rights framework to improve maternal mortality. A proud recipient of the Congressional Black Caucus Healthcare Heroes Award, Dr. Creer Perry currently serves on the steering committee of the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, principal at Health Equity Cipher, and on the board of trustees for Community Catalyst, National Medical Association, and the New Orleans African American Museum. She is married to Dr. Andre Perry and has three children. She says her love is her family, health equity is her passion, and maternal and child health are her callings. Dr. Career Perry, thank you for being on the show with us. Thank you both. Thank you all so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we are so super excited to have you on the show to discuss this important topic. So let's start with you, Arian. What inspired you to start a female subscription box service? So in 2015, I was diagnosed with a cervical tumor, and I didn't know where it came from, had no idea what was going on, and I went to a few GYNs, but one of the gynecologists that I went to was on the board of a study with the National Institute of Health, and they linked a lot of the symptoms that I was having, along with cancer and endometriosis, to additives and feminine care. So that's what really got um, got me started, and that's what really pushed me to provide a healthy alternative and educate women at the same time. So who is your ideal customer? My ideal customer has changed quite a bit, quite a bit since I started, but in the beginning, I thought that it would be women who, like me, had experienced reproductive Ill- issues and illnesses, but we're finding that we are a premier provider for women who just simply want the convenience of healthier products that get delivered to their door. So that's really our ideal client. Anyone in need who doesn't have the time or doesn't feel like sourcing chemical-filled products from stores. And what was your experience bringing Femily to the market? It was a (laughs) ride. (laughs) So when I launched Femily, it was completely a whirlwind. And um, 
it was very tough for me in that I had to struggle to get traction and make sales in just my local community um, in the beginning. And then thereafter, I wanted to spread my influence throughout the country, but I did not know how. And that's what really pushed me to enter several different competitions and, um, you know, put some more heavy focus into social media. Did you run into any challenges messaging Finley? How did you, how were you able to explain it? I did. So because I thought that my initial target market would be women who were, you know, going through illnesses, I did a lot of messaging around fibroids and endometriosis and PCOS and all these mm -hmm. different, you know, things that happened to us. But I pivoted in that we started being a little bit more inclusive of all women and basically included messaging that not only spoke to someone in need who was in the midst of a horrible period with heavy cramps but also someone who just wanted to try something different and like take charge of their health because I think that we all deserve to have a say in what goes in and on our bodies and for me family was my way of pushing that to the masses and I, and I think when we initially met, I'd mentioned to you, I have an 11 year old daughter mm -hmm. and immediately I thought I'm going to get her family box mm -hmm. for her when she comes of age um, to right. have that because I think it's such a opportunity also to celebrate health early right. on and to start educating as children and then obviously you have your customers throughout the life cycle <laughs> of being a woman. Um, so tell us more about your, your uh, decision to actually start a subscription model, a box service. So what led me to the box service was the success of companies like Dollar Shave Club. I'm not sure if you're aware, but they had a billion dollar exit. So one conversation that I always had with investors was the fact that we don't have no period February, but guys can opt out and have no shave November. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the market opportunity for family was um, larger. And I just looked at the cyclic nature of a cycle and thought, well, wow, how awesome would it be if I got the ultimate period package delivered to my door right before my period every single month on time every time and that's really how family grew and that's how you know we came to be so and I know part of your strategy obviously is to get into stores will you continue the box service as well as in store or are you still thinking through that model so one big thing that we've done lately um, with the announcement of a lead commitment is to really hone in on our strategy for marketing and we saw an opportunity with quite a few retailers and they've expressed some interest so not only would we be manufacturing and providing our products at an affordable price point in stores mm -hmm. we'd also continue with the online subscription service for customers who you know they want to go that way in that path um, I actually don't know this do, do you have customers outside of the US as well? yes we serve the United States um, quite a few people in Canada okay. and I even have orders from as far as South Africa okay yeah Cape Town awesome well let's talk a little bit about how you funded your business mm -hmm. um, you've had some really interesting combination of things happen right. and part of that was with pitch competitions before you had investors or maybe in the same time so talk a little bit about the early funding process for mm -hmm. you and how you used pitch competitions to fund some of that startup money and and tell us a little bit about your journey so when I launched in 2015, I was in the throes of a um, major marketing position with MedStar Health. Mm. I was in healthcare marketing. It was kind of my thing. And one thing I did was cash out my 401k. Um, and but right from the beginning, because of my story, we started getting a lot of press. And my boss, I guess, felt like, you know, this could be a threat. Maybe I could become a competitor because I'm in the health space. So I kind of feel like I was forced to leave. Um, but it was a great position, and I loved it. And... After I ran out of that money and, of course, savings and, of course, parents, I saw that there was an opportunity with these pitch competitions. And initially, I had no idea what they were. I was an avid watcher of Shark Tank and loved that. And I thought, okay, I'm a really good orator. I can really go in, be cute, take the money, and run. And that's what happened. Um, I won my first competition with 12 customers, and it was insane for $125,000. And I just kept going from there. And um, one question that I get from a lot of people is, how do I find competitions? A lot of them were just simply Googling. Um, and also people send them out, you know, they send them out to me. I think I'm at a point now where people kind of roll their eyes when I show up. <laughs> and how did that parlay into getting investors? Did the um, investors come naturally from the pitch competitions or did you kind of cultivate that network separately? So ironically, People expressed interest in family early on, but I think because I'm young and black, there were a few obstacles because 
Um, there are some major players in this space who are similar to me, like Lola and Cora. And these companies have gone on to raise millions in seed and Series A funding. Um, so investors saw the opportunity, but I don't know necessarily that they believed in me or saw what I saw in Femly. And the traction that came from these pitch competitions and sales and like really getting it out in front of people and landing press really catapulted me into finding a lead investor and not even that just finding somebody who believed in me and wasn't going to try to take advantage because I received um, quite a few unpublicized investment offers but they were usually crazy and I think part of it is that I was empowered enough to find an attorney who would kind of have my back like if I didn't know something I knew that I had him to reach out to but there were times that someone would say hey I'd give you a hundred thousand for 80 percent of your company and had I not been empowered I probably would have taken that because I needed the money so how many how many pitch competitions have you done I've done about 52 so far some huge some small some for office space <laughs> I have quite a few offices right now <laughs> So I, I actually met you at, at a pitch competition. I, I was a judge at one of the most recent ones that you mm -hmm. won at, at Hair Hub. You did a phenomenal job, Thank as you. always. And I always get um, uh, folks who I, I mentor and are doing pitch competitions that may not be as great an orator as you are, are always looking for pitch coaches. Right. And I think I've sent a few people to you already. You have, and they've been so, great. <laughs> and so are you offering that as a service as well? I am. Um, that was kind of brought on by demand. I didn't even think that that was something that I could do. But I guess, you know, with winning so many and being so visible, I saw an opportunity to not only help myself, but to help people like me, who might be underrepresented and need a little money and a little bit of working capital. So that's been really cool. Thus far, I've taken on about five clients so far, and they've gone on to win a few competitions already. So what practical advice can you give maybe top three things just for our, our listeners who are looking at going after pitch events right mm -hmm. now? The top three things that I could say for anybody who's thinking about raising funding through pitch competitions is to, one, know your numbers. Um, know your market opportunity. Know the market validity and proof of concept and know who your target customer is. So if you're pursuing a market of females who are African-American. You need to know those numbers. How many African-American females are in the country and how do they break down by age and who's going to use your product? Um, two, definitely expand your circle and focus on being a major player in your local area because there are a lot of people who believed in me um, that were able to help me right in my backyard. I didn't have to travel to meet them. Mm -hmm. And three, take advantage of free marketing. Thus far, I've probably spent $500 on press in three years. Wow. Um, there are some great PR reps that I know who are awesome, but I just simply like couldn't afford them. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I simply couldn't afford it, and I really believe in paying people what they're worth. So, Absolutely. like, manage your story and do what you can. A lot of the press that I've gotten was from tweeting. Like, I literally, at New York Times, hey, y'all, what you doing? Hey, big head. <laughs> um, and that works out. Well, your marketing background was at MedStar Health, yes, correct? Yes, but so my degree, my formal education is not in marketing. I kind of learned this as I went. Wow, that might be another thing you can do on yeah. the side as you continue to build your business. Right. Um, I love your story, your journey, and what you're doing. And let's talk more about your products and impact on women and in the community. You mentioned that you started the company as a result of your own health needs. Right. How would you like to see your product continue to serve as a solution for female literacy and potential preventive options? So one of the really cool things that I didn't anticipate happening when I started Femily was our impact on female literacy. Um, for the subscribers that I do have in Cape Town, South Africa, we saw an increase of 78% in school attendance simply because some of these girls did not have access to disposable feminine care products and weren't going to school. They were using socks, washcloths, like any fabric, leaves, banana leaves, anything that they could find. So by sending this family box to them, we were, you know, we were essentially able to keep them in school for an additional week, therefore increasing their literacy scores and allowing them to participate in those lessons that they would have missed. So that was a major thing. Um, in addition, we started donating products to women who couldn't afford our subscription in Baltimore um, and underserved populations in DC. And we saw an increase in our impact there because women were able to go out and pursue jobs comfortably without you know, doing the little switch when you can't find feminine care and things like that. So I think that 
Femly has the potential to impact women and girls in so many different ways. I have subscribers who are maybe in their 70s and use our pads for bladder leakage. Mm. So when we look about product, when we look at product development and some of the things that we can come up with over the next three to five years, we're really looking at being the premier provider for girls as young as nine and women as old as 90. Wow, and, and your product also, I love the fact that you already have a partnership model and mm -hmm. you're, you're bringing additional products into your box, which I think is, is great. Um, right. And so talk a little bit more about your partnership strategy, what partners you have on board already, and maybe what some ideal partners are in the future. So I try to go off of what things that I love during my cycle. Um, so for me, a lot of that is teas and chocolate and body care items. And Champagne? Do you put champagne in the I wish. <laughs> if we had a post-menopause box, girl, we'd be on it. But um, one of the things that I've done to solidify partnerships is attend those natural product expos and like really get in on these companies and like figure out what their messaging is and figure out how we could align ourselves. So if you're a provider of natural tea, it might make sense for us to partner because tea has been proven to help the effects of PMS and cramping in your cycle. Um, so that's really how I do it. Just find companies that are awesome with an amazing product. I pitch to them and usually we actually support them and increase economic development because we buy the products unlike other subscriptions. Mm -hmm. um, we usually don't ask for free items. We're not expecting samples. I want to support you. I want to give you my money, you know, put you in our box and increase your awareness by now marketing you every month. And that's what we do. Have you talked, have you talked to Francie Pants? I have. We met at the pitch competition at Hair Hub. Um, and I'm going to reach out to her because I think I'm a contributor for Thrive Global as well. Um, and I think that there's a huge opportunity with what she does in promoting economic development and employment in women. Absolutely. I, I would I would love you guys to partner. She's That's just great. my pitch for you mm -hmm. right now on that one. Oh, that'd be awesome. I'm thinking warehouse in the next three months in D.C. So Absolutely. that would be amazing. Dr. Joya. Let's get you to weigh in here. Okay. Um, as a doctor and expert in obstetrics and gynecology and an advocate for maternal equity, what about family resonates with you? Man, there were so many things <laughs> that she was speaking of. First of all, I'm just so proud to be sitting next to you. This is super awesome. Thank you. And I was thinking about how your pitch changed from kind of working with people who had endometriosis and fibroids to globally, and how though that makes you sell more at the core, that is a really important strategy, right? right. And working with um, how we have not ever addressed the toxins and the things mm -hmm. that we put into our bodies mm -hmm. as a country. And um, we have a very kind of capitalist, um, non-caring for, um, not paying as much attention some of our, the chemicals that we place and some of our regulations allow for a lot of things to be placed into our bodies. And so having a natural alternative, thinking about what you said with your 11-year-old, that's an amazing thought as a mother mm -hmm. to be able to say from the beginning, like I, the joke used to be I have older children and a seven-year-old and all of the food from Whole Foods was for the baby, right? We, we already <laughs> had chemicals. <with> them. <laughs> but starting fresh and really yeah. believing how can I have feminine products for my daughter so that I can decrease her risk for mm -hmm. endometriosis, for all these other things that we know that the chemicals we put in our body have those kind of impacts. So that right. was the first thing I thought about. The second thing was thinking through how you were able to you, um, use your platform to educate women about and girls about their bodies and right. to make it okay for them to have things delivered to their home, the convenience. I mean, I do actually dollar shave for my father because he has had a stroke, and so okay. we're always ordering stuff. How important would it be for us to be able to do that for everybody? Right. And we know the data shows that around birth control pills, that right now we want more people want them delivered to their home. So there's just this move for having things that are more convenient right. and having it accessible. And so what does that mean for us and our feminine products and how important that would be? Much less thinking about some of the school issues, mm -hmm. some of the issues that happen in our prisons, like all these underserved spaces where women are not treated equally and how you can create or how you have created a, a platform for having a healthy alternative. So that's an amazing accomplishment. I'm like, look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, and also I'm just curious, like, as you think about mm -hmm. birth and infant mortality, mm -hmm. like, how is that connected to women kind of having knowledge of their bodies and yep. knowledge of their cycles and, yep. and so forth? Yeah. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about kind of how you think about that. And yeah. yeah. You know, the hard part is because so much of our education around our bodies does not occur, right? Like mm -hmm. we don't have space 
in our school systems. Um, we don't have space in our communities. That um, sometimes when people don't know what's going on with them, like when their last cycle was. If you were to ask mm-hmm. most of us, if you were to ask me right now, when was your last cycle? I would say I have no idea. <laughs> but yet as a gynecologist, I ask the people that all the time as if that's something we keep up with on right. a regular basis. And so having the capacity to train or to have education for people, women and girls about their bodies is really critical. The more knowledge you have, the easier it is for you to navigate a lot of these spaces, to navigate how you make decisions about when and how and if you ever want to have children, right? So mm-hmm. the first step is knowing your body, understanding the cycles of your body. And we don't make a lot of room in the United States for us to be comfortable. We look at other countries that have better rates and we're always amazed by their rates, but we don't want to take the efforts that they put forth to get those rates, right, which are talking to women and girls as young girls Mm -hmm. about their bodies and about the growth of their bodies and how their bodies work. And that is a huge barrier for us to be able to have healthy families, healthy babies, healthy children. Yeah. One of the reasons why I talk so much to my daughter about it is because when I was growing up, it, right. it was not. It was you don't you didn't talk about it. Right. I remember when I got my my first cycle, and it was stay away from the boys. Don't run. Don't play sports. Don't it was all this don'ts. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I didn't think about it again until after when I married my husband. We were actually trying to have kids, and I was on birth control, using you know all types of feminine products, and we struggled to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I wanted to make sure is that in raising my daughter, one she felt comfortable yeah. at least talking to me yeah. about it in her do- in her doctor. Um, not so much dad. Dad doesn't like to have these conversations. <laughs> um, but at least having the, com- the conversation and knowing like something doesn't feel right. right. Or this isn't, and, and I think that starts early. It does. You know, I, I would. Zena knows my daughter really well, and the f- irony is you can be overboard. I, she would probably say, "I know way too much." <laughs> <laughs> I was raised yeah, by a gynecologist. <laughs> It's always you been should like... Make, you should make that a t-shirt. Right? <laughs> when she was like 11, we were on vacation, and mm-hmm. she was swimming in the pool, and someone hit her in her vaginal area. Mm-hmm. And she said, I said, oh, are you okay? Is your vagina okay? She said, don't say that word. Call it the V. I said, I am a board-certified doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be calling it the V. <laughs> and hence why she is not a doctor today. <laughs> See, that's why. She I just go down that road. There's some boundaries around <laughs> That's funny. I took my, my husband with me. Um, we were at a recent gynecologist appointment. Mm-hmm. And I asked them the question because I found a funny little gif online about it. And I said, babe, where do women pee? Like, where do we pee from? And he's like, your vagina. And I'm like, no. no so, like, we went through the entire composite Yay. sketch of it. He knows where the vulva is. He knows where everything That's is now. But that, and he's 30. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's shocking. Yeah. I mean, that, and that goes back to your earlier question, right? Like, mm-hmm. we don't teach both girls and boys around our bodies, around how our bodies are structured, Mm -hmm. around what is healthy for our bodies. And so that leads to so much of the disconnect between our comfortability with our bodies. Um, And I'm thinking about even with the products, like there's a wide variety of feminine products and a lot of them have a disconnect between touching your body. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's almost as if we're ashamed of our vaginal area, our vulva, Mm -hmm. our clitoris, our urethra. There's all just medical words. They're not dirty words, but it's hard for people because we've made such shame around our bodies Mm -hmm. and our feminine feminism that it's difficult for us to even have those kind of conversations. So you open up a conversation. um, And even if it's something that the delivery of the box allows for a family to have a conversation that they don't normally have, because it's not me sending my husband into the pharmacy to go buy my daughter's tampons, right? Which is a whole, which has happened, right? It's gonna happen, it's a thing. <laughs> but also, like, this is in our home. Let's just talk about, you know, our, our bodies and what, how right. they're built. Yeah. We have a large demographic of husbands and boyfriends exactly. who are like, look, I want to do something sweet. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey, go ahead. Enjoy the chocolate. <laughs> chocolate is real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have data for that. <laughs> is there data for? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's data around um, the comfort that comes from especially dark chocolate around your mm-hmm. cycle. There's data um, even around the teas, the caffeines and teas, like all the And it's just the... Um, the, the, the soothing mm. of all these kind of herbs, those are real, I mean, the, the, we were doing, before there were chemicals and pharmaceutical companies, we were taking care of ourselves, right? right? right. So, yeah, we, we know there are some natural herbs and natural things that people have been doing for generations, yeah. Well, Joy, one of the reasons why we wanted you here, not only because you're a doctor and you're OBGYN and you're a maternal child health, you're also an entrepreneur yeah. yourself. I forget you, that at times. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know we do. Because we come running up to you, Joya, I saw, I have this thing. <laughs> Joya has gotten calls from me on Christmas Eve. Was it Christmas Day or Christmas Eve? It doesn't matter. It might have been Christmas Day. I called her and I'm like, look, Joya, I got a problem. I told Joya, I was like, okay, Zena, you're over the top right now. You're over the top. Never. 
but you've you've kind of taken this and turned it into a not a business. It's more so it, it is a business, but it's also a nonprofit. It's yeah. an organization, mm-hmm. and you're trying to help more women. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. what you're doing? Yeah, and so um, the National Birth Equity Collaborative. I started it in 2015, originally with some funding from the Kellogg Foundation. Mm-hmm. So the original grant funding was a- allowed for us to do research on we interviewed black women in seven sites who'd had an infant death. We really wanted to change a narrative around that we're too sick, that we're too old, that we're too fat, to what are we doing as a community to support black women and the impact of racism on our bodies mm-hmm. and sexism and classism. And so that was really listening to the barriers that the women had. But from having those interviews, the next step of the work was to go back into the cities and share what the women said. Mm-hmm. So along with Tulane School of Public Health and the Institute of Women and Ethnic Studies, we went back to Detroit Mm-hmm. and to Cleveland and to Baltimore and we said this is what they said and the folks said this is great help us mm. um, and that's where it became more of a business model when you're working with hospital systems with health departments with major nonprofits like the March of Dimes to help mm-hmm. them rethink their work that actually has a, a price to it, right? Like that's the, this is important that I recognize. I sometimes my husband reminds me all the time. Are you charging for that? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's really important when you're working with large institutions that have a lot of resource. That yes, they need to change, and yes, we need to do the culture shift. But they also need to value the work around equity, mm-hmm. and they need to value the work of Black women, um, which is new for them, and it is a struggle. I think. Um, what resonated when she was talking about sometimes investors didn't see you and value you. It's just I have the same. You know, it's the same thing. And, and even as a nonprofit, they're more likely to give me a grant sometimes mm-hmm. than pay me the same amount of money for consulting. Mm-hmm. Because as a nonprofit, they control the narrative, at least they perceive they do. Mm-hmm. As a consultant, you know, it's, it's me doing my work. And so it's like a very, all those dynamics really, really matter. And um, it depends on what I'm trying to get accomplished. Like right now, we're working with both the City of New York Health Department, with mm-hmm. the State of Louisiana Health Department. Um, with uh, the New York State, um, did Governor Cuomo's thing. And so there's just a lot of work that's really a lot of traction going on, Mm -hmm. specifically right now around maternal mortality, Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that black women are dying in childbirth at three to four times the rate of white women in this country, and that we're the only industrialized nation where the numbers are getting worse, not better. And so that has really been a bulk of the work. Um, Infant mortality, because people almost act as if the two to one rate is normal, mm-hmm. right? Like they've normalized that to the point it's become they an have. entrenched thing. And I mean, you they and really I met have. working around yeah. infant mortality and they say, oh, we've been working on that for 50 years. It's still two to one. It's just going to be two to one. So understanding that if all of your um, mechanisms for alleviating that pers- are built upon the premise that black women are broken, mm-hmm. it's not going to work right. Right. because you're starting off with a false narrative. So mm-hmm. if you believe if only they would just go to the doctor, then their numbers will get better. Then your your strategy is going to be to increase our visits to prenatal care. The truth is, we have data that shows, despite having um, going to the prenatal care in the first trimester, we have worse outcomes than white women who have no prenatal care at all. Uh-huh. So there's something that happens to us inside of that um, visit. And I was thinking, honestly, again, about the data we shared at the beginning. Part of that is first-generation folks have better outcomes because they haven't been here longer to have the traumas of being in this country for multiple generations. And so we have first generation Africans, people from um, Nigeria who do better than, you know, black folks have been here since, <laughs> I'm, I'm on number four or five, I don't know, <laughs> right? And so that, but that, but then you, after you're here for a couple of generations, your numbers start getting worse. So in the wow. Latina cop- population, we see the longer folks are here, the worse their outcomes become. And that's why you see as black and native, we've been here a long time, been under this, the, um, racism, classism, and gender oppression of the United States specifically, right? And so you also come with a connectedness when you still have your culture of origin um, attachments, right? So you still have some things you're really connected to. When you take those things away, it's much harder for you to navigate this this, um, space here. The one thing I found very important when we did the Healthy Baby Begins With You campaign with our girl, (laughs) Tanya Lewis Lee. We miss you, Tanya. Um, We know she has gone off to producing. Exactly. She's fancy. She's very fancy. (laughs) She is. We love her. We absolutely love her. Um, Because she took a chance on being a part of this campaign. And I remember the one thing that touched her the most when she found out about the stress, yes, remember? Yes, remember yes. Um, the stress was somehow connected mm-hmm. to child, uh, yeah. to infant mortality as yeah. well, and also. Yeah, and you know, and the hard part, and I, I guess I've become frustrated because we've now known that for a while, mm-hmm. and yet we don't decrease women's stress. 
right? right? So like countries that have better outcomes, like if you probably saw in the media last year that we wanted to be like Finland and get baby boxes. Did y'all see that? So yeah. they give out boxes to all the new moms in Finland yes, and they have I better do. infant mortality rates. Yeah. And so for the US, because we like things, we're like, we need to get those boxes. <laughs> Finland has paid maternity and paid paternity leave, mm, right? right. <laughs> they have free health care. Right? They mm-hmm. have free uh, college. So just buying a box right. and leaving people without job security, mm-hmm. without homes, without, like, that's not going to be the answer. And so that's the kind of narrative, I think, the stress of living in a place that doesn't value everyone equally Mm -hmm. um, causes us to have higher rates of infant mortality and maternal mortality. And the truth is, even going back to the maternal, the numbers going up means that's not just black women dying. We're only 13% in the black folks. So that means a lot of white women in this country are dying that shouldn't be Mm -hmm. because we don't have the infrastructure in place that values women in general. We are not doing things like having fair, equal pay. Mm -hmm. You know, those are things that when people know they have that safety net, their stress levels go down, their catecholamines go down, and they're more likely to have. Cata what? I'm sorry, catecholamines. (laughs) So like the nervous, when you feel nervous, the hormone that makes you, um, your heart race. Mm -hmm. So if you're always nervous because you're worried about losing your job, Mm -hmm. or you're worried about what someone's gonna call you, or you're worried about your 12 year old son playing in the park with a toy gun and getting shot, Mm -hmm. right? If you're worried about those things, that hormone is always revving, it's always high. So you have higher rates of hypertension, higher rates of obesity, higher rates of miscarriage, higher rates of stillbirth. So we know that those are real things, there's a consequence. What I worry about is us concentrating on finding a pill for the higher catecholamine, that's the American way, versus decreasing the things that cause it in the first place. Changing the culture. Changing the culture, this is a huge culture shift. We would be the first industrialized nation, because those other countries that have really good rates, they really have one ethnicity or one race, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think of Finland, Norway, like they have not a, we have a lot of diversity in religion. We have a lot of diversity in race and ethnicity. So what would it look like for a country as diverse as ours to value everyone equally, to say everybody should get a fair wage, everybody should have housing, everybody should have a free education. That's the challenge yes. of the current American exceptionalism. We believe in American exceptionalism. Um, so it would be exceptional for us to value everyone equally. That'd be an amazing nation. It would. That, really that would be the shining on the hill thing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> we would make America great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there's so much that you said that I want to unpack. I know we don't have time for all of it, but, you know, thinking back from a business perspective, yep. so often we talk about the voice of the customer. Yep. And kind of what you mentioned is really the voice of the mother or the caregiver mm-hmm. or the parent. Yep. Um, and you talked about just a struggle with infertility mm-hmm. and miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And we've ha- recently seen Serena Williams mm-hmm. and Beyonce on talking mm-hmm. about postpartum depression. Yeah. Now it's okay to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice or um, information do you think that our listeners need to know and kind of take away from this conversation? What are the top, you know, I'm, I'm a three person, top three. <laughs> well, I, you know, I love the language she used about feeling empowered, mm-hmm. right? because that's what doesn't happen for women when we're in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you think about the Serena story, what she was able to do is, despite being treated poorly and despite not being heard, Mm -hmm. she's Serena, she eventually was like, look, I am Serena Williams, and I said you need to do this, this, this. Right. So if you can, because she knew her body, she knew her also. body, she knew her, body. She knew her body. Mm-hmm. So being, so knowing your body, mm-hmm. and then if you fit, no, if you can't do it for yourself, it's also the hard part is we don't expect you as providers to be able to do all these things and deliver a baby at the same time. That's a lot. Like you need to have a team with you. You need right. to have people with you. If it's not a doula that you're paying, if it's not a partner, it's a grandma, it's a cousin, it's a sister friend, it's someone mm-hmm. who can be there and advocate for you. Because if you're in the middle of having to listen to pain and, and you know all that, it's hard to then also be able to make medical decisions mm-hmm. and to advocate for yourself. So making sure that you don't go to these appointments or to these um, to the hospital alone. And I know that's hard for us because we're all working and we're busy. But that being marginalized and being alone gets us in so much trouble mm-hmm. and so many things can happen. Um, so I, we're trying to advocate for having doulas for free for poor people because rich people get them all the time. Right. Right? And so who really needs them are our community members who are marginalized and they were in those clinics by themselves right. and having to do it. So knowing your body, making sure that you have support whenever you need it, and then also knowing that you are not the problem. There's mm-hmm. nothing broken about mm. women of color. It is not that we uh, are inherently or genetically different or flawed. We are amazing and powerful and beautiful. And so what are we doing collectively to change the country to value us and see us in that way? 
you know it's i think and i agree with everything you said i think for some people that might be hard to hear um, especially for black women i can't tell you how many of my friends family members right now have gone through a fibroid surgery or struggling with infertility um, and not having any out you know uh, positive outlook on what that might look like Mm -hmm. um and so what what do we i want you know i'm a doer i'm like what do we do about this can can we change this yeah and i so part of it is that we're trying to change how we've talk to women about pregnancy mm-hmm. so thinking about your daughter it's hard because mm-hmm. I have a lot of very professional friends who we were told that we finish career finish mm-hmm. job then think about children mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that's the best advice for black women right because for us not just the fibroids because it's 80% of black women have fibroids but 70% of white women have fibroids so it's not only mm-hmm. just fibroids mm-hmm. right it's all these other things we've been talking about right. the cumulative the, the word they like to use is weathering right mm-hmm. so our bodies have been under attack for a longer amount of time mm-hmm. so our likelihood of having higher rates of endometriosis or fertility issues or all those things are going to be higher mm-hmm. so until we can get the country to mm-hmm. treat us better we have to start thinking about like I even think about with my own 25 year old daughter what is my ask of her mm-hmm. what am I doing around making sure that when she makes choices around her wanting or if she wants to have children when and how and not saying wait till you finish your PhD make sure you have this perfect house and this perfect husband and now you're 40 and I my son was born when I was 39 Mm -hmm. and and Dina knows we did a lot I mean he's a super fertility baby Mm -hmm. right so I thought I would get married at 35 get remarried and just like I had my first two pop out a couple of more Doesn't that happen, that doesn't way, happen yeah. that way. And mm-hmm. so the truth is we have to start having those honest conversations within our own communities and not blaming the women that they're doing, that they're broken. I cried in my fertility doctor's office just like everybody else cries. I was distraught and, well, what happened? Yeah. Um, but I also cried when I had my son, who's 22, mm-hmm. premature, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What did I do wrong? Right. Mm-hmm. So, all that, so working on us not beating ourselves up and that we are amazing and we are powerful but and we need to find room to just um, be valued. So I, I tried, my daughter lives in LA, she drives around in her Jeep, she teaches yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I'm overcompensating, like right? Jade. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that, and I'll, I'll just share this. Um, you know, when my husband and I were struggling to get pregnant, we'd gotten married, mm-hmm. we bought our, we were working, we bought our house, and actually for me it was a second um, property, so I felt like, okay, it's time. Mm-hmm. Right, we think we were 26, 27, or 27, 28, and five miscarriages. Mm-hmm. We tried in vitro, mm-hmm. twenty thousand dollars, no baby after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, at that moment, I was upset with my mom, mm. and part of it was she was sixteen when she had me. Yep. And I was like, well, should I have done it earlier? Right. I did the right thing. Right. And actually, I told my husband, I was like, you can divorce me, go find right, someone right, who right. can have a baby. He's right. like, what is wrong right. with you? Right, right, right. Get, get yourself together. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then God blessed us with our, yes. our, our kids. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think one of the things is just how do we support people who are going yep. through going through it and yep. just getting them to understand it's not their fault, yep. um, that it happens at the time it's supposed to happen for everyone who's yep. going through it, whether you're 16 mm-hmm. or whether you're 45. Because yep. I do know someone who's got pregnant. Oh, me too. 45. Yeah, yeah, my, my yeah. sister did. And I, I, and I agree with you that um, – it's hard for us to because we're looking for what did we not do or what did our mothers not do mm-hmm. or what is the narrative and so right. working on but the best thing you did was share your story right now and so I try to also be honest and share my story as well mm-hmm. and and show that people that all of us no matter how much information or um, or how much education we have that we're all struggling with this yes. and that we're all it's a, it's a very common phenomenon um, and that we collectively need to have the support and the room to grieve when we need to grieve. Mm-hmm. Um, to, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. Um, and then also when we're raising our daughters, though, thinking about, well, what does that look like? And that's really the challenge for us with the next generation. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do differently? And right. what would you do differently than what your mother did? And all that, you know, so that plays into that for sure. Um, I'm going to bring Ari into the yes. um, mm-hmm. conversation. And I know you recently suffered, you mm-hmm. know, a loss and um, very similar to what Christina was just talking about. Um, and I know as an entrepreneur, we, we, we hustle. I mean, you did 52 pitch competitions. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm amazed. That is awesome. And uh, I don't know, would you like to share your story? No, I would. I, um, it's actually funny. The pitch competition that I won that Christina judged, I was 15 days out of being on life support. Wow. I, um, I had a stillbirth at around seven months in May, on May 19th. 
actually went to the doctor because my water broke early, mm-hmm. but everything was fine with the baby, and we were supposed to be on um, bed rest for a few months in the hospital. And two or three days later, I contracted E. coli sepsis, um, but no one knew. We didn't figure uh, it out until I was in the throes of delivery. The baby had passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, then I started hemorrhaging. I had something called DIC, and I had... Um, about four or five blood transfusions after mm. delivering the placenta. Wow. And thereafter, I went into shock and mm. was intubated. So it was it was crazy. Mm. And to be quite honest, despite all that I've gone through, I can credit my condition now with being, you know, on the road to recovery with the ability to empower myself to make those decisions. Mm. For instance, in April, I had, I had been diagnosed with a UTI. And, like, around that time, all the stories were coming out with Serena and, like, Kim Kardashian mm-hmm. talked about why she got a surrogate mm-hmm. because she had a horrible delivery experience. Um, and I read it kind of separating myself, like, oh, you know, it's horrible that that happened. This won't happen to me. And right. lo and behold, just a month later, I went through what I went through. Um, but one of the things that I can say that helped me was the ability to not take everything that my doctor said for at face value because you know when I was told that I had a UTI no one did a culture no one knew that it was E. coli until a month later on Mother's Day when my water broke um, so like there are a lot of missteps I feel with my medical personnel but I credit my decision to switch doctors and switch hospitals mm-hmm. with my survival right now because had this had gone down at mm-hmm. another hospital where I was supposed to deliver I don't think I'd be alive mm-hmm. and to be quite honest if it means anything, some of the women in my support groups don't have limbs from sepsis. Mm-hmm. Um, a few of them have siblings who have passed away. They don't have livers. They've had to have liver transplants. Mm-hmm. So I can speak from a place of empowerment. I could speak from a place of recovery, but also knowing what it's like to go through that and lose a child. And that was my husband and I's first child. We just got mm-hmm. married last year. Mm-hmm. So it, it means a lot for me to be able to increase my impact and increase education on that front. And I think one of the things that we need to do better as a country, too, is to support women after this happens right, because right. Mm-hmm. I haven't had counseling yet. Right. No one reached out to me, nothing, right. and even less for my husband. Right. Like, I have been his support system, and at the same time, we are both dealing with things differently because I was in the ICU on life support right. out of it, and he was, you know, by my side of the bed weeping. Mm-hmm. So it, um, we just have to do a lot better yes. as a whole, and we have to listen to our patients and believe them when they have these complaints because I can't tell you how many times I had called the doctor and they said, oh, that's just normal. Mm-hmm. That's normal pain. You're growing. It's round ligament pain. And, you know, mm-hmm. to lose my mucus plug and go through that was crazy. And I yeah. think one of the things that you said that is so important, and you've been so vocal about kind of women's issues more holistically right. is to tell the story and not to be in a place of shame. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Because I think there, I mean, as a Latina, I know that a lot of my friends and myself also has, have been through fertility treatments. Mm-hmm. And as a Latina, we're kind of in this culture that tells us that we're super fertile. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. so, um, and that we shouldn't have problems having children. Right. And I've been on both sides of that, both not having problems having children. Right. <laughs> exactly. Having problems right. having yeah. children. Right. So, uh, <laughs> um, what happened to my narrative? <laughs> <laughs> and, but I think it's I think it's such an important piece of what mm-hmm. you do, Erin, is is tell your story in yeah. an entrepreneurship way, right? And also not from a place of shame, but from a place of this happened, right. and this is part of what we need to talk about right. because there are so many different ways that people approach this, and and we can hide. You know, like there's so many things about our health journeys on a lot of different ways that we hide, but particularly when it comes to issues around reproduction mm-hmm. and or, you know, just things that there there are a lot of shame in our culture yeah. around that there doesn't need to be. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I remember going through my own fertility story and I was shocked about how many women I talked to that didn't know when you were actually fertile in your cycle right yeah right or they didn't know I mean you know women that were at at that point in my life you know late 30s early 40s that didn't know basic things right Right. and then when I had my daughter this last time kind of going through and finding out all of these things I had no idea about in the birth of her that I'm like wow it was so cool and it was I felt very very both blessed and very privileged that I had the kind of care that I had at that point and the kind of education that I had at that point and I would say 95% of women 
even if they've had children, don't know right. what I was privileged enough to learn during my last and pregnancy. And it's an ongoing thing. I it mean, totally just is. yesterday, I broke down a block away yeah, from here <laughs> because I found out that a very close family member was pregnant and like things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have friends who have had a stillbirth at term, 40 weeks, right. you know, um, and they can't even see pregnant women or they break down. And like, I've been lucky enough to not have that. But like this, I did not know would be a trigger. Right. And like, I had to dig deep inside myself and try to figure out why I was crying and like why I was so upset and thank God today was a much better day but it um I kind of feel like I've grown from not only an advocate for feminine health and wellness but also for mamas who have angel babies mamas who have had a loss because immediately got like I remember being so angry with the doctor I had just been taking off life support and I'm still in the hospital three four five days later and she's like you can try again and I wanted to like choke the hell out of her Mm -hmm. but I can say that once I was discharged and and, um, sent back to my house, that was like one of the things that I remembered and I was thankful for. Mm -hmm. Like, I can try this again. I'm scared as hell right now, but maybe in the next few months or next year or so, you know, I still have a uterus, thank God, because let me tell you, when those contractions hit, I told (laughs) God to take it. I said, I don't need it, I'm good, one and done. Um, But yeah, it's, it's definitely an ongoing thing and it's something that you struggle with going forward forever. Like, I don't even think that, a new baby would replace that it would just right. be i'm an angel mom who has a new baby yeah. and i'd be mm-hmm. equally excited but there's really nothing that fills that void right. and I, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you brought up a lot of really important points and one of them is that you didn't get no one offered you even counseling after. no and i that's actually a huge gap which our, is unbelievable yeah. it, but it's, it's, it's across the country it's like a north um in fact in louisiana we require you to baby to bury the baby but we don't have any kind of support system for you right mm. so we we're so baby focused in this country and not mom focused right, right? like you're still right. here like right. what are we thinking about and you're probably going to get pregnant soon and you haven't oh, yeah. had that any you therapy anxiety, around. PTSD. Right. Exactly. like i still have nightmares every night right. sometimes i don't even like going to sleep right. and like these are things you right. can't right and so then that kind taboo. of mean thing i was talking about is yeah. gonna be revved up right because mm-hmm. you're nervous around all the things and so e coli is not a common thing it's unlikely that you'll get e coli sepsis again but yet i'm sure that you would be very nervous about that yeah. Yeah, and so we have similar personalities in that we can smile through pain, but that doesn't mean that we don't need support. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't look like what I've been through. Right. People say that all the time. I mean, they mm. see me. They're like, are you resting? Exactly. And I am. I Sometimes family is what keeps me going. Like, on the hardest days, I've had to get up and do something. Right. That pitch competition, I had debated with myself about getting up and going until about like 50 minutes before mm-hmm. it was insane wow. um and i still went with like the pick line in my neck because right. they couldn't find a vein yeah. i still have scars like mm-hmm. and somebody put the quote up yesterday on facebook but it said you can't escape the jaws of death without having teeth marks mm-hmm. and that's kind of what mm-hmm. i feel like i have teeth marks mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like i look fine but there's still some things you go through mentally yeah. a lot of the the struggle is mental and it's worse yeah. than the physical yeah, you know for sure. i'll tell you that pitch competition i mean you you, you did a phenomenal job and I hadn't known about like, what right. happened until after we awarded mm-hmm. awarded it and I think the last time I saw you was at maybe South by Southwest yep. and and so I did I didn't assume anything negative right, right? and so you did the pitch um, beautifully we uh, awarded you and then when you you mentioned that to the audience I just remember I had just chill bumps mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even believe you were there mm-hmm. number yeah. one I couldn't believe what you had gone through and I couldn't believe the grace in which you were standing and presenting. Thank it you. was amazing. And I told you, I said, I, I believe your testimony is going to help so many women. Mm-hmm. Your product already is helping women. And there's something big for you to yes, do. Yes, for sure. And so we're, we're excited just to have you on the show. I think FIMLY stands for so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't wait for you to articulate that to the global community. Thank you. Oh, Thank yes, you. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, you know, we don't really count stillbirths, right? So when we talk about infant mortality, that means a live birth and then the baby passed. And so you also represent. People don't realize that. I They're know, like, well, I had a miscarriage. I'm like, well, no, yeah. you know, she was two pounds. I pushed. Right. I had right. a dep- epidural. Right. Then I lactate. Like, they didn't even tell me that I would lactate. Exactly. I was walking around with cabbage in my bra. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So, that, so, so yeah. much of, like, you are speaking for people who don't get hurt at all. Right. Because um, we don't count it in our CDC data. And can't speak up. And they can't speak up. Yeah, I've had right. even friends on Facebook say, you know, I just had a stillbirth last month, and I wish I was as brave, brave as you. And mm-hmm. it, um, I don't know, it's it's kind of soothing for me to talk about it because I feel like she was real. Yeah. She was a human. You yeah. know, she existed. Yeah. yeah. Um, she and did. it was a thing, and it happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. You know, it was so interesting. You know, we talk about our pain as being entrepreneurs, you know, the hard part. But we never talk about 
the, the personal issues, mm-hmm. the personal things that we go through. And I have to commend you for being able to talk through this because, you know, I, I've, been, I've worked with Joy of like for four or five years on mm-hmm. an infant mortality campaign. And, um, and I met a lot of moms mm-hmm. and I, met, I mean, and I kind of want to share who this person was, but I, I talked to someone really famous one day because I was working on this campaign in New York. And uh, I was with, I think I was with you mm-hmm. and Tanya. And this woman came up to me and she shared her story and told me you know, she had lost her child um, and it still st- stays with her to this day. Now she's in her probably six, maybe early 70s now. Yeah. And she said she was she thought she did something wrong she had been blaming herself all these years now mind you she has accumulated wealth (laughs) you know fame and and it crosses those socioeconomic look Stilbert did not care how much money I had who I was the founder of and it's crazy and she's like I I feel you know liberated from this now I feel Mm -hmm. like it's not my fault knowing that it's not. It's not. Yeah. I blame and, and myself. I mean, 60 years later, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, or 50 years later, you yeah. know, you're, you, you're, you're still blaming yeah. yourself for that. So I, I commend you for getting out there. with the belly. I'm like pitching with the belly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, being pregnant gave me a little bit more hustle. It's like, okay, I'm having mm-hmm. a baby. I have to get this together. Right, right, right. Um, and I have six siblings, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of generational turmoil mm-hmm. being a black American in this country. Yes. So there were, there was definitely a lot to work through. Yeah. Yeah, There's so, so much, much I wanna I right. wanna I wanna <laughs> talk about, but you know, just uh, we appreciate you both just being on and having this open, honest conversation. It doesn't Thank happen you. enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just back to you. You know, I can't. I still can't get over the fact that a hospital would let you leave and not offer just counseling and, and all of that. I don't know typically what what, what and works. nothing for the husband. Like he didn't even get a pamphlet. Yeah. I mean, and I, he I also didn't get off work when we speak about racism. Right, right. I'm in the ICU, and he still had to go to work, yeah. and he had to come to see me at 8 p.m. every day. Yeah, I, so. yeah, it, it is the norm. Her situation is unfortunately the, the norm. norm. Yeah, yeah. So, what 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 uh, message would you give to women listening that may not have told their story yet, mm-hmm. or may be feeling the shame? Um, you know, what what would you want to share with them? You have to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, the first few weeks out of the hospital were really foggy because I was on a number of medication because my E. coli was antibiotic resistant mm-hmm. too. So mm-hmm. I was on 20 different antibiotics, mm-hmm. all types of medications. But um, I can say on the worst days, I was able to talk to my husband, even if I had to curl up on his chest and like fall asleep that way. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister mm-hmm. taught me how to walk again and bathed me. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot and it was really a lot of leaning on close friends and family. I didn't want to be in the house because, you know, from the time I was five weeks pregnant, this is our first baby in our family in 17 years. So we basically bought everything. So now I have all of this baby Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And then I have a family member who's pregnant now in my house and expecting next May. So that was crazy. And like there was a lot of turmoil around trying to figure out how to tell me because my loss is what, only 12 weeks out. Um, But I think it just it really just speaks to the need for humanity and just connecting with people even if you find one person that you can talk to Mm -hmm. and collaborate with do it if you need to scream scream cry cry it out Mm -hmm. like i (laughs) i am an advocate for that if if it goes south like yesterday was a horrible day for me Mm -hmm. um you know you just have to go with it you can't bottle it inside i did not want to have a nervous breakdown later on so i've been really trying to do some work around letting it out and now that i don't have my baby in my arms just doing what i can to change the narrative and like fix some of those generational curses be a um, better mom for my future child Mm -hmm. and make some of the right decisions that will lead to success along the way you know i'm adopted by my grandmother my mom had an addiction Actually, I was born two pounds mm. and positive for crack cocaine mm. in my system. Mm. Wow. So, you know, there's a lot of work that I need to do now that I have the time to do it before we bring another child in. And when we do, it will be the right time. Well, let me ask a question to both of you, because we are talking about Family Box and kind of products that you put out there, which yes. then leads that conversation, right? So we've got mm-hmm. kind of a product leading the conversation and then you leading the conversation back into the product and right. having this kind of nice circular thing. But so for both of you as women and black women, what health products mm. do you see making a huge impact on health, behavioral change, or maybe wellness in general? <laughs> and I know it's a big question. Yeah, so <laughs> Family. 
<laughs> other than family, which I think, I mean, and you've been so good about bringing other uh-huh. things into Family right, Box, right? right? But what else do you see? For me, it's um, a lot of my health and wellness revolves around food, like mm. eating to live mm. opposed to living to eat, especially coming off of so many crazy antibiotics. Um, I've been dabbling in probiotics, kombucha, anything fermented, just because my entire system and entire being was off balance for such a while. I mean, when people see me, they just assume that I had the baby, which I did, technically, um, because I'm 40 pounds lighter than I was before I even got pregnant, which is crazy. Um, But a lot of it was just lifestyle changes and food, probiotics, wellness products, self-care. And I used to think when I heard self-care that it was like candles, laying in a bathtub. But for me, it's like venting and therapeutic conversations, painting. Like I was three days out of the hospital and my sister bought me an adult coloring book. And like Mm -hmm. she sat with me and said, you need to paint. And it was funny. My first few months, she was with me, like in the crowd, everywhere I go now. So just having, you know, having a plethora and a diverse range of things that you can use to be an outlet yeah I mean and I would agree with all of that in addition I'm thinking about when you mentioned being born um, cocaine positive in your mm-hmm. system so we had all such six a, of us said yeah. that so they had such a narrative around what crack babies would be uh-huh. um, that was put upon us as a, as a country um, and none of it turned out to be true you were right. a great example of that was all a made-up lie and even my mom like <laughs> right. she was a functioning addict if you right. met her you would not have right. known right so the so. narrative is very different today around opioid addicted babies yep. right there's mm-hmm. no one saying they're gonna be super predators oh, they kill a everybody disease, yes, support. It's very different right so knowing that you have to also get past the narrative that was placed upon you mm-hmm. that I, if I know it that means you know it yeah okay so knowing that you know that you were um, that crack was in your system when you were born was meant to mean something about you yeah. and it doesn't mean anything about you right right so that's the first like letting go of the traumas that you mentioned mm-hmm. that are placed upon us um and for, I'm I struggle with products just because I think we are a hyper product mm-hmm. country um I do think though yoga and meditation are things oh, yeah, that we meditation. need room for as black women and as women of color. Like we don't get the space for that. And how amazing that would be if we had more room and more space for that gardening, spaces for community gardens, time you know, just to be alone. I remember when I fin- we finished residency in my residency class, there were four black women and um, two white women. And one of them stopped delivering babies after five years. One of the white women stopped delivering babies after five years and just was doing GYNL. She was like, oh, this is too much. We couldn't even imagine having spent that much time stopping doing the major thing that fed us that quickly. But Mm -hmm. she had a space to exist, right, because of generational wealth and all these other things that we just didn't have. We were still trying to figure out how we're going (laughs) to make enemies and pay our malpractice insurance. So it was just a very, like, how do we make room for us to just exist as women of color in this country and us right. to um, uh, to do self-care and to have room for um, the things that bring joy. Right. We don't shouldn't just be surviving. We should get to thrive. Right. So how do we make room for things that allow for us to thrive? Yeah. Right. Wow. Thank you both just for sharing your stories. And I feel like this is an Ayanla moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You want to do the wrap up? No, no, you can, you can do it. That's a whole other time. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is such an important topic for for everyone. I think too for for entrepreneurs that are pushing and yeah. hustling yeah. and not and not necessarily things happen, but not stopping yep. and reflecting on those things. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I just encourage you to continue sharing your story and where we can help you and yeah, be a support system. Yeah, we're Let here us for know because. We love what you're doing. We love you as a person. Thank um, you. Love yeah. you guys too. Yeah. And just wanna just wanna support. I do have a question for you. Though. Sure. So you're you're growing. Mm-hmm. You're expanding quickly. You've got a lead investor uh-huh. on board. You've got um, you know new pro- new uh, uh, customers coming on board. How are you balancing? And how are you delivering? Right for your husband, uh-huh. for your customers, mm-hmm. for your investors, and for yourself. How are you? How are you handling that? So the funny thing is, since the dawn of time, I met my husband first day of college, and I was super young because I skipped eleventh grade. So I met him Morgan State, fifteen years old. Um, every Thursday is date night, no matter what. I don't care where I am in the country. I'm flying home. It's date night. So mm-hmm. tonight, that's what we're doing. But he also is a part of not only the mission and like everything that I've been through, but also the journey. Mm-hmm. 
he's like one of my biggest financial analysts for family's finances. Um, when it comes to team building, he's helped me with that. He's more of an operations person. So we balance each other. And one thing I try to do is just make sure that if I'm having a crazy week, the next week is relaxed. I can stay home. And not only for him, but for myself. Like mm-hmm. I still have a lot of pain related to sepsis. Um, and I try to take it easy when I can. So it's just balance with him. And, and, and for the for the investors and for customers, are you? For the investors, so for the customers, we actually just did a soft pre-launch for our proprietary products. Mm-hmm. So they'll be going out in October. And as far as the investors, I really had to turn some people down, to be honest, um, just because it just didn't fit where I was going. And I did not think that they would be good for the mission of Femly. They'd want me to change into something that I didn't want to be. And I think you find that a lot when you're black and broke. People <laughs> offer you the money, but they, it comes with these crazy like terms that, that, they wouldn't, <laughs> that they wouldn't give to someone else. So it's been saying no to the people who offer money that aren't a good fit and saying yes to the people who can really um, stick around for the long run and maybe not be involved in the day-to-day operations, but just be a, an, a mentor and an ear. Mm-hmm. You know, if I... Um, raise capital in the future and need to make some of those decisions so it's really just tribe building and i'm just thankful for people like you all and just amazing people who have been supportive and profound and full of advice and just everything i needed for everything i've been through recently and prior Great. Well, thank you so much thank um, you. for the both of you yeah, thanks for sharing yeah. your stories and also Thanks to my co-hosts yeah. for sharing their thank stories for too. I, that was, I wasn't great. planning on doing that, so thank wow. you for giving this has the been space a very, um, for both of us. I know this has been a very different show <laughs> <laughs> than our normal shows. But where can we find you? You can find me at familybox.com, F-E-M-L-Y-B-O-X, and on social media at familybox on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And so you can find me at birthequity.org, and also on. Twitter and Instagram at D-O-C-C-R-E-A-R Perry, Doc Career Perry, and um, and Dr. Joya Career Perry. Great. And are you doing anything special for Infant Mortality Month coming up next Yeah, month? so what we do are... Do you want to make any announcements? Yeah, yeah. so we are, we're going to do a social media push mm-hmm. um, around the 17th. Okay. Around infant, so it's usually World Infant Mortality Prematurity Day, mm-hmm. so we have kind mm-hmm. of a big push around then. Um, and then in December, we have Black Mamas Matter Alliance is doing a maternal mortality um, summit in, De- in, um, De- I mean, in Atlanta, December uh-huh. 6th through the 9th. So. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Well, as I said earlier, this is a very interesting show, a little bit different, but it, is, it was a great one. And the reason why, um, Arian took a health scare that she had in the beginning, and she took it, and mm-hmm. she wanted to solve a problem. And um, in order for Family Box to grow and for people to get to know it uh, without the capital, she's like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna get out there and I'm gonna do pitch competitions to raise my own capital because we know being black and broke, I'm gonna (laughs) use those words, it is hard for us to raise money. We do not have the friends and family round. And so we have to be very creative, um, get it out there and be able to raise those funds. And um, messaging she talked about messaging and touching women who have similar reproductive reproductive issues um to help people to be able to connect to the family box and at the same time even though we're talking about our periods we're talking about reproductive health we're celebrating our health Mm -hmm. and she teaches us that it is okay you know to celebrate us having our period Mm -hmm. and Sometimes we don't have time to run to the store to <laughs> buy that package or send our husbands or, you know, it's hard to have our you know, fathers, right. as we talked about. <laughs> exactly. um, so having that box come to your home mm-hmm. mo- monthly is absolutely, you know, necessary sometimes for certain people who are very busy. And um, we also talked about investors and sales. You know, sometimes investors don't believe in us. Um, we don't know why. Sometimes as women, they don't believe in us. Right. Um, sometimes it could be as black women or a woman of color, or Latina. Um, and so being out there, doing those pitch competitions, it made you very visible. And then you turned around and you used those pitch competitions to teach people how to know their numbers, know their target audience, expand their circles and be a major player in the local area and um, provide marketing and then also you're helping others 
do pitch competitions, right. which I think that's amazing. We are all we have. <laughs> Let me tell you why that's amazing. Because, um, you know, that could be your competitor one day. That one day, that person you train, you can be on the stage with them competing. So right. And I can't, I can't, I can't reach every woman in need. Exactly. So mm-hmm. that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can throw a big event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we talked about partnerships, and then Dr. Joya just brought in some some insight about you know our bodies, about women and girls, and how this country doesn't really, you know, embrace us, and even our products don't allow us to be able to touch our bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's some shame in that, and with the feminine products that have a disconnect with it, and how she says that the box opens up a conversation, which we ended up opening a very big conversation. She's right. It's like Pandora's box. Generations of a box. Generations (laughs) of a box. We're going to call it a generational box. (laughs) And um, how Dr. Joy herself is an entrepreneur, and she turned a passion into a business model. And, um, you know, she talked about controlling the narrative and the stress of living and the stress of being an entrepreneur and how this country sometimes just don't value us. And if they really take a look at the diversity around here, you know, black women, Latina women, you know, Asian women, mm-hmm. and just the, the diversity here could, it could actually be equality. Mm-hmm. We actually can have equality, and which will make America great again. Yeah. Right. And that's what supposedly our country was supposed to be built on is right. equality, correct? Right. So um, I have to say that um, this has been a very interesting conversation. It's been very, um, and, and I don't even need to read the rest of my notes for this, but it's, it's hit home only because this whole infant mortality discussion. Uh, I've been in this. Mm-hmm. I never had a child, um, but going around the country with Joya and uh, and Tanya and talking to different women who had different experiences. And then when I heard about you, mm-hmm. um, I almost broke down and cried because I understood your pain, even yeah. though I've never had a child. Right. But just just being connected to different women. And then I'm thinking about this girl is still out here doing these competitions and she's still out here talking to investors and she's getting interviews. She didn't let it stop her. Right. And, um, you know, Joya would tell you, you know, we got to push through the pain. <laughs> we have to push through. And you really did that. Oh, yeah. And then at the same time, you're being mindful. I had a breakdown yesterday. Right. Oh, you yeah. know, on let the me tell you. They say, who is it? Jay Electronica, the rapper. He says, <laughs> he says, my brain pours water out my tear ducts to heal me. Mm. A good cry is life changing for me. So let me tell you, I'm out here now, but the next pregnancy, I'll go ghost for a few months. Yeah, <laughs> you should. As well you deserve. Right. And we're going to end Get that. A good black doula. <laughs> there you go. And we're going to end that on that. Thank you. Thank you Note, so that was great. And thank you, um, Joya, for being in here. And Arian, thank you for talking about Family Box, sharing your story, mm-hmm. and pushing through your passion and pain. Mm-hmm.